Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here it is, a Friday the 13th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Oh, I love Friday the 13th. Why wouldn't you as a guy with the name of Jason and a goalie? Uh, But uh, coming up in this episode, we're going to talk to Emily Kaplan from ESPN, get a kind of outsider national point of view on the Flyers, the division, the NHL, some big stories as well. Also coming up next week, we're going to continue uh, uh, preparing for the season, counting down the days. It's, It's You know, this is the dog days of summer for the NHL. The buzz of free agency and draft and expansion draft this year is all in the rearview mirror. And uh, the next thing up is going to be when players start to head into town, get those informal skates going, and then rookie camp uh, early September, and then training camp mid-September and leading into the preseason and eventually the regular season, which begins on October 15th for the Flyers against the Vancouver Canucks. And next week, we're going to talk with ESPN's Barry Melrose as well. So he's going to be featured in an episode next week. And Barry's interesting because he was at ESPN when ESPN had hockey. He has been at ESPN for that period of time when they didn't have hockey. And he's still at ESPN for the return of hockey. So we'll talk to Barry Melrose, one of the true characters of the game and broadcasting uh, on an episode next week. Also, Daryl Williams, Flyers assistant coach, will be a guest as well, newly named this offseason. We are efforting Jason Smith, who is now an assistant coach with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms on Ian LaPerriere's staff. So a lot coming up here over the next couple of weeks on Flyers Daily. But joining us right now, a Penn State alum, a fellow Penn State alum. It is from ESPN, covers hockey for the worldwide leader. It is Emily Kaplan joining us right now. Emily, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, has it been busy for you with this kind of crazy off season? Because there's been like two off seasons of movement packed into one. Yeah, honestly, July was really rough. Um, if you think about it, the entire month packed in. They awarded the Stanley Cup to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, we had the buyout window. We had the expansion draft, entry draft, then free agency. And um, cramming all of that in into 30 days just kind of felt psycho. So afterwards, I took a big breath, but then it's still going on. And it feels like people are still having to get through this RFA period before they can finally get to where the Canadians love to call cottage season. Yeah, we don't have that, unfortunately. We need, we need to get cottage no. season here in the yeah. States. It sounds you know awesome. It does sound awesome. It's when they all, uh, you know, just scoot off to their lakes. But it's funny because it's sometimes when you talk to people in the league, um, if they're in the Toronto office, they think that everything has this American bias. Oh, you guys always get off for July 4th. But we think that everything in the NHL is like very skewed Canadian. So I always find that interesting. Well, everything is catered to, to Toronto, of course, as well. But I, I want to hit a, you on know, a couple of headline stories real quick. And I, I want to get your perspective on where the Flyers are after this offseason, because it's been a fascinating one, not just for the Flyers, but for the league. But a couple of the stories I want to hit on real quick. First of all, the Eichel situation seems to be lingering. The agents fired back last week. And th- this is getting all but too uncomfortable at this point. How does this get resolved? I mean, he's got to be moved, but... Mm teams know that they're not going to pay a premium because they know they have to move them. Correct. You know, deadlines typically spur action. And right now there's no deadline. Um, You know, you could say that maybe one of the sides, either Eichel or a Sabres management, create an artificial deadline. This needs to get be done by training camp or else. Um, But truly, there really is no impetus for them to move him. And for Kevin Adams, the GM there, this is a franchise defining move. It's not one you want to mess up. 
He doesn't want to get low return. That said, a lot of the suitors for Jack Eichel have figured out other solutions, like the Los Angeles Kings went out and got Philip Deneau. So the options are much slimmer than they were, you know, maybe six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago. Um, right now, I think it's going to be quiet for a bit. I think there's some talk around the scenes, behind the scenes, and all of a sudden one day we're just going to wake up to an alert and we're going to hear that it got done um, because there is movement behind the scenes. It's just kind of quiet right now. Yeah, I got to think Vegas is involved in, in some way here, too. They they seem like every time there's a big name out there since they've entered the league, they've been involved. And they've shown also that they're not afraid to, you know, throw a guy into the sun that was the centerpiece of their other organization a couple of years ago. It's a reputation they're getting. Let, let me ask you about Evander Kane, because this is a really dicey situation. You're talking about gambling in sports and gambling on the sports and the, the allegations that uh, his soon, I guess, soon to be ex-wife made and then his denial uh, this is one of those that's – and San Jose, the players, they don't want this distraction. Nobody does. But this one's going to play out in real time, not our time, not how we want it. How does this one kind of really kind of play out? And if it bleeds into the season, what do they do with the player? Yeah. Well, as I said, deadlines for action. And yeah. for Evander Kane, there is a very real deadline, and it is training camp. That's when he's supposed to start being paid. That's when he'll have to appear in NHL games soon. And so the NHL has said they want this investigation to be done by a training camp, and they expect it to be done by training camp. And honestly, whatever the investigation reveals, if there's any, any hint that he was betting on NHL games, God forbid, betting on his own games and somehow trying to influence them, um, I do think that the NHL is going to, you know, put down some harsh punishment. If not, you know, Deputy Commissioner Bill Della told me they don't intend to do anything, um, you know, based just solely off of social media accusations. Um, you know, if the league doesn't have a domestic violence policy, it's not necessary that the ex-wife alleged domestic violence, but it's just an interesting facet to it. Um, and this is something where <laughs> this is a $7 million a year player that his team doesn't want. And a lot of teams in the league would say, there's a lot of talent, but it's also a lot of baggage. And honestly, I'm not sure how that plays out. Yeah, you could see a situation where he may not be able to find a home and uh, kind of like Tony D'Angelo last year, although he did get a second chance opportunity. Before we get to the Metro Division, a couple of things. Let, let me talk to you about the NHL returning to ESPN. I grew up on it on ESPN, and I remember, you know, the, the great announcers with Gary Thorne and Bill Clement and Tom Meese way back. And um, the NHL finally returning back to ESPN. What does that mean for the network? Well, it's huge for the league. I just want to say that um, in the sense that not to toot our own horns, but ESPN is on in so many locker rooms, hotels, airports, and these guys have gone past it for the past too many years. Then why aren't our highlights bar. being shown and why aren't we being talked about? Correct. Um, and so for ESPN, that means that we get hockey into our ecosystem. Um, you know, it's we're talking about the highlights on SportsCenter. I'm on Around the Horn. We have more hockey topics and prominent blocks in the show and A1 blocks, B1 blocks. Um, and then you start seeing Stephen A. Smith talking about it and it trickling down that way into all of our other programming. And it's just good to be talked about in that way. And there's going to be so many more opportunities for us to showcase the game. Um, you know, I'm talking about some of our talk programming, but our studio show is going to be once a week. Um, on Thursday afternoons, and it's going to be magazine style. We're going to do features and in-depth pieces on guys, a lot of storytelling, a lot of analysis. Um, so all of that sounds super exciting to me, and I hope it does to whoever's listening to this. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is I've always kind of said that the way to, to grow the game is to show the personality of the players. And we can't really do that in press conferences because we know you got to get pucks deep, you got to work hard and all that stuff. And it's never about me. It's about the team. But that magazine style, that, that perks up my ears right away because 
getting to know the the players, you know, the mic'd up series and road to the uh, Winter Classic. That, to me, those are the ways to grow the game. It's video games, which they did in the 90s with NHL 94 and the EA Sports games, and letting people see the, the true personality of the players. No, I, I think you're bang on there. And one of the reasons that the NBA has ballooned in, pers- uh, in popularity is because those personalities shine. And then we start talking about the petty drama and the beefs and that's type of storylines and narratives that fans really like. Um, and I know that the players really enjoy leading into that in the NBA side. And hockey, guys, as you mentioned, get stigmatized when they use the pronoun I. Uh, you have to say we or you. It's weird tick. And once you notice it, it's hard not to notice. Um, you know, I've known of guys who have said no to endorsement deals because, well, it would put me above the team or I wouldn't know what my GM would think. And that kind of sounds twisted and crazy. But these are some of the attitudes that I, in my opinion, have held that personality back and the sport back. Um, but I do notice that in a lot of the younger generation, you know, kind of like Nathan McKinnon, I'd say, is maybe the cutoff because he's really into, you know, showing who he is publicly. Um, there is a shift in attitude. And I think that's super exciting. And I'm hoping that we can tap into that at ESPN. Yeah, you know, it's, it is amazing because you're around the players when, when the camera's not on. I've, I'm in the locker room all the time, and I've been around them for years. And they're funny guys. But as soon as you put that microphone in front of their face, sometimes it's like stick in the mud. I, mean, I remember when Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were with the Flyers. Both great guys. But as soon as I had a microphone, I was getting nothing. Now, I think that they did that, too, just because they didn't want to talk, and they figured if I suck when I talk to you, then you won't ask me more. But um, that's just the way it goes. Uh, let me ask you about this division, the Metro, because it's fascinating. From what the Rangers did this offseason, they bring in their Tom Wilson foil to protect Artemi Panarin. They just signed uh, Igor Shesterkin to an extension uh, from the Penguins not getting goaltending help. And the Islanders go to a couple conference finals. Not a great regular season team, but they haven't done much. And the Canes have been a head scratcher as well. How how do you see the Metro kind of playing out this year? Mm, It's tough. You know, I think the team that maybe is the most interest to Flyers fans, that is not Philadelphia, is always Pittsburgh. And they're an interesting one because this is a very big, like, what if year for them. Um, It's new management in if they don't. Um, show that they can win with this court. Maybe a big blow up is soon, but maybe they still have one more run in them. Um, you know, I look at the top of the division and it has to be the New York Islanders and the Washington Capitals who've just been sustained success over the last few years. The Caps obviously a little longer than the Islanders, um, but they're not showing any time signs of slowing down. Maybe the Capitals are. I know I talked to GM Brian McClellan recently. He says if you know, goaltending holds up and the young guys, like they should be on top of the league. Uh, you mentioned the Rangers. Well, something that I do find interesting is the Rangers moves of getting tougher. I do feel like the Flyers kind of made some similar moves as well. Um, you know, the through line of a lot of the guys that GM Chuck Fletcher brought in was toughness and leadership. And I almost feel like that's a foil, like you said, to Tom Wilson, but also to the Islanders, who are a heavy team. A um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the Canes. They're pretty much just going through the division of all the teams. But my point is, it's going to be very complicated, um, you know, and I, I think there's going to be teams that just go on a run and rise in the standings and teams you can't really afford a five or six game losing streak in this type of division or else you wouldn't make the playoffs. Um, the Canes are the wild card. I still think they're going to be competitive. Um, I'm a little head scratching at some of their moves, but I do have faith in what, what Don Waddell and Rod Brindamore have built. So it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. And, you know, to, to let Nadelkovich go because you didn't want to pay him a two-year deal for $3 million and you, you trade him, you know, you get Bernier in return, then you don't extend him, which brings me to the team that may be the most fascinating and a lot of really important moves for a team trying to move up. Had they been in the division last year, the Devils would have finished in the bottom spot for 45 points, but they get Dougie Hamilton. 
They get Jonathan Bernier. They made some Tatar. They made some pretty big moves. Are they a team with those moves that's ready to contend for a playoff spot, or is it still too far off? They're a year away. They they maybe can make a little run this year and get everyone get March, excited right? and sell some tickets. And maybe, yes, maybe make it to the playoffs and you get blown out in the first round by the number one seed. Um, but I do like the direction they're going and pretty much behind the scenes ownership told their GM Tom Fitzgerald, we're behind you spend money, like be more competitive. We want to be playing meaningful games at the end of the season. Um, and they've been really aggressive out there. You know, they got probably the marquee guy, the free agent player that went to market and Dougie Hamilton. Um, you know, they made some other interesting moves like Tomas Tatar getting the Hughes brothers together should be pretty exciting. So I think they're going to play a lot more fun hockey this year. And I like the young core that they've built. Um, but they're probably like two years away, three years away from really being that team. Yeah. And, and again, with they're another team that's got a good young goaltender, Mackenzie Blackwood. I talked about Shesterkin. You talked about the goaltending with Washington. Is it going to hold up? And Samsonov and, you know, Pittsburgh didn't get any upgrade uh, with goaltending. And Sorokin is going to be back in uh, Varlamov with the Islanders as well. Um, you know, the Blue Jackets, they lose Seth Jones. We just talked about Hamilton. He got paid. Seth Jones got paid. Darnell Nurse got paid. Are you a little stunned at these contracts? Flat cap my rear end, uh, the way these D are getting paid in the offseason. You know, the NHL is such a copycat league, and you have to pay. If you pay one defenseman a lot, and I really feel like Seth Jones might have been the starting point here, well, then that's the new comparison, and everyone's got to pay up. And there's different reasons why each of these guys got this contract, right? Like, in the case of Zach Wierenski in Columbus, the truth is, they need to pay a premium to keep some guys around. And that's just the market reality. Um, but it does seem like that is the new trend in the NHL. You need to pay these young defensemen a lot of money, lock them in because um, they're hard to find. They're hard to draft. And when you have one, like you don't want them to leave. Yeah, let me ask you about what Chuck Fletcher did this offseason, because like I mentioned, the NHL being back on ESPN is a great thing because ESPN's on every sports bar during the day. It, it's great exposure for the league. The league's better when certain teams are good. You know, a team like the Rangers, that, you know, the league's better off when th those markets are involved because there's a lot of history and there's love hate across the, you know, the continent and the world. Uh, the Flyers are in that category as well. When they're good, it's good for the league. Uh, the moves that Chuck Fletcher made are significant. Some big names left, Shane Gossespierre, Jake Voracek, and others, Robert Haig, you know, and the acquisitions are, are equally as gaudy. When you look at uh, what he did this offseason, kind of in total, what do you, what's your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I said a bit earlier, it's just the through line of all of these guys. They're all competitors. Um, they're all tough, and they all have really good passion for the game, and it felt like, Chuck Fletcher, for whatever reason, felt like those were the elements missing from last year's team. Um, you know, like just a quick story, Cam Atkinson. I was there NHL draft night in Columbus, and it was a weird night. You know, that was the night they traded Seth Jones. They had three first-round picks. A lot has gone on in the organization, and they were having a fan party. And I look over, and, like, it's, you know, kind of just this, you know, meet and greet. They're, like, uh, broadcasting live, and Cam Atkinson is there signing every single autograph, smiling to every single person because he loves that team. And the next day he was traded. And just like, to me, that shows what type of guy that is, like what a leader, how passionate he is about being at the time a Columbus Blue Jacket and him bringing that to the Flyers. Like that's got to get fans really jacked up. Um, Rasmus Ristolainen is a guy to me, miss, just was overtaxed in Buffalo for what he was, um, you know? And I think if you scale back his minutes a bit, you put him in a better situation around veterans in a winning environment and a positive environment, 
he has the potential to uh, shine. So I think it's probably tough for Flyers fans to see some guys go, like Voracek, who's kind of been a beloved player there. But um, I'd be excited about the tweaks to the roster. Um, and you talk about personality, too. Bringing in Keith Yandel, um, that's a good way to market the game. That guy is a beauty. And you combine them with Kevin Hayes and the two of them together, and you got yourself just – you'll know when both of those guys are in the – I always say it, when Kevin Hayes is in a room, you know he's there. He, he, he's never, like, hiding. <laughs> yes, correct. Uh, um, Chuck Fletcher, he is a – he was very, pers- you know, precision-like in this offseason. And fans, you know, they saw some moves happening, whether it was Ryan Graves to the Devils or these kind of moves, and they're going, oh, Chuck just sitting around, does his phone work, blah, blah, blah. Um, very smart guy and very methodical in the way he handled this offseason. What's been your kind of impressions of him and the job he's done? Because uh, he's a player's general manager. Players love him. He's very upfront. He's honest. And, you know, if he says he's going to do something, he does it. I think he negotiates fairly and all of those things. But what's your what's your impression of the general manager? Um, I mean, my personal impression of him is that he's one of the nicest guys in the game. He was one of the first um, GMs I got to meet when I got the job. He sat down with me for coffee. He said, whatever you need, whatever I can help, let me know. And I just felt like that spoke to his true character when he'd say players love playing for him. You know, it's probably because of that, that he's just treated them like human beings. Um, I do think he acted with precision this offseason. And, you know, it's interesting. He took the job and they never really got a full season with the team. And, you know, I think he was patient. He's like, what is this team? What do we have here? Maybe they thought they were a little ahead of where they were last year. Um, but right now, I think they know where their time to strike is. And I think he identified deficiencies in the team, he and his, his staff. And, you know, they said, these are what we need to hit. And they did. And we'll see if they all play out. Obviously, a lot is contingent on whether you get Carter Hart to rebound. But I thought he did a really great job of saying, not only like we're not going to put all the pressure on Carter Hart, because we're going to put the Dean better in front of him because we sucked at defense last year. And honestly, of all the moves that he made, getting Ryan Ellis, who for years was viewed as one of the most underrated defensemen in the league and the best paid in the sense that it was the most team-friendly contract, getting that guy on your roster is huge. Yeah, yeah. you look at the – when you, we just talked about those contracts for Hamilton, Nurse, and guys like Seth Jones and what they're getting paid, and you look at Ryan Ellis and go, boy, that's a bargain right now. And the Provorov contract, the same thing. It, it'll be fascinating to see how this plays out. It, looks, it all looks better on paper. But, you know, the game's not played on paper. So, you know, coming up, kind of counting down the days to the season, um, wh- what do you think is going to be kind of the, the biggest storyline as the, the season begins? Is it going to be COVID still We deal with Delta? And, I mean, that's where we're at right now. But how do you see that part of the season playing out? You know, it's so tough to say it. I'm like, want to get out of the business, try to predict anything with this pandemic. <laughs> it's always changing every couple of weeks. Um, I do think, you know, that's going to be a big thing. And really the thing that COVID is going to impact is whether the NHL players go to the Olympics or not, because as we're recording this, um, you know, we haven't reached an affirmative deal that they're going to go, but all signs are pointing to players will go. And at this point, the only thing that would hold them back is if there is a variant and there is a huge outbreak and the NHL is they were working on a deal with the IOC just to say, this is the day that we can't go. So I think that's going to be a really big looming storyline this summer um, because not only are players so passionate about it, were they so pissed off that they missed the last cycle? Um, it really just does impact the NHL schedule. And we have those two weeks, you know, built in right after All-Star in Vegas. So we'll see how that all plays out. So if they don't go to the Olympics, would the schedule be amended and that, that break be then essentially taken away and everything would kind of be moved back with the same schedule? Yeah, the NHL created two schedules um, and sent to teams, one with the Olympic break and one without. 
we went forward with the one with the Olympic break, which again is a really positive sign um, that it's going to happen. But they do have that schedule uh, stored away in some drawers that they would just take back out. Yeah, I hope they don't need it. I want. I like watching best on best playing for your country. It's it's great hockey, and and then it just it extends the entire hockey season because now the, you know the cup won't get handed out until late June, even though. We all need a break as well. Um, Emily, I appreciate you doing this. Best of luck with the NHL being on ESPN. I know uh, people around the league and, and fans are really going to benefit from you know, having that uh, ability, and, and you guys are going to do such a great job, and there's so many digital elements, which I think is great because that's where everything's going. So I appreciate you joining us, giving us your perspective on things around the league, the division, and the team, of course. So uh, best of luck, and thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It was really fun, and we are. Thanks to Emily Kaplan for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. Another one comes your way Monday featuring Barry Melrose of ESPN. It'll be an interesting conversation to say the least. In the meantime, everybody, have a great weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk to you on Monday's Flyers Daily. In my eyes, in this pose, in disguises, no one knows. Has the face like